Yeah, so this, this series, Epiphany, is, is born out of the church calendar. So last week, it was actually the, the calendar event called Epiphany. And it's, it's usually defined by when the Magi, the, the wise men in the, in the birth narrative of Jesus, when they recognize the star, they come and visit Jesus and they find, they find that there is a, 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 a Messiah, a Christ that, that uh, isn't of their people group, isn't of their tribe, they're Gentiles, they're not Jewish people. Another event that is often connected with Epiphany is the baptism of Jesus, which you hear John referring to, John the Baptist referring to here, where Jesus is baptized by John and the Spirit of God descends on Jesus and affirms him as the Son of God, as the Messiah, as, as the Christ. So these are some of the greatest epiphanies that happen in human history, so, so, so great that we're talking about those 2,000 years later. And so this series is about these moments in life where something incredible might be happening and some people are able to recognize it, they see it, and it changes their perspective. And other people go along with their life, none the wiser. And so the question that we're talking about throughout this series as we look at these different texts, these different epiphanies uh, in the scriptures, is uh, are, are there ways that we can cultivate our own spirituality our own hearts, that we are more able to receive the epiphanies when they come. Because there, for, for, every, for every wise man that visited Jesus, there were hundreds and hundreds of more that didn't. For, for everyone that was at the scene, seeing the baptism of Jesus and saying, whoa, that's the guy, there were hundreds more that didn't. And, and as we walk through life, we're no doubt walking past potential epiphanies all the time. And so this morning, as we're looking at this text, uh, there's, there's a potential epiphany for us. And the title of that and the title of the sermon is, is just modest. It's very modest. The biggest thing about your life. Uh, so that's what, that's what we're going to be, that's what the theme of this sermon is about, the biggest thing about your life. Uh, when I was in my, was that, when I was in my late 20s, I really was thinking about that I wanted to write a book. And I thought, man, uh, I, really, I really feel like I have a lot to say, I want to write a book about it. And some people, some of my friends were like, yeah, you should write a book, that would be great. You know, and um, but I, I was also reading a lot, a lot at that time, and as I as I read, uh, I, I realized that all the topics that I would write a book about had already been written about by more highly educated people that had devoted their entire lives to that topic, people that were far more privileged than me and had much more resources than I did. And so I thought, well, this is an issue, man. This is an issue if I want to write a book because do I really have anything to say when all this is out there? And, um, and, 
And uh, so I, I started trying to think my way around that. I was like, well, you know, but, but, but I'm a unique individual and I have certain experiences and I still have something to offer. And uh, so I was, I was working my way around those ideas and those thoughts. And what, what I realized a little bit later, a few epiphanies later, is that my goal was really to write a book, not because... Not, not to serve the world, not because I had something that, the, that, I, that I thought that would serve the world really well, but because I just wanted to be a writer. I just wanted to write a book. I just wanted to be an author. I just wanted to be somebody who, you know, had, had that little picture on the back with my cute little bio, and I had this book with, you know, this title, like maybe like something like The Biggest Thing About Your Life or something like that. And, and, and I realized that my desire, that my, my passion around wanting to write a book, it was really about me, right? Which there's lots of good books that are, that are written that way. And, and, and really, this is completely normal. Every, every human being goes through a period of time, sometimes it lasts their whole life, sometimes not, where the things that they do are really, at the end of the day, they're really about, they begin and end with just them. So, it's, it's normal. It's normal. So being a great parent, I want to I be a great parent at the end of the day because I need to be a great parent. Like that's where I'm going to get my identity from. Or I want to excel in this job. I want to do a, a great job at my job. But at the end of the day, it's not because I believe in the vision and the mission of the, the company, but it's because I want to feel good about myself. I want to feel good that I'm, I'm an incredible worker. And, and we, see, we see how these things, they can be really good for a while. They can be really helpful for a long time to a lot of people, but eventually they create harm. That, that parent, I've, I've, I've had moments like these, I'll have moments again, where it's like, I need, I need my kid to eat vegetables because I need to be a parent that feeds my kids right. And I lose sight of the nuances of the moment, of the situation, right? And I end up overcorrecting or overparenting or, or becoming overcontrolling about those things. I need for everybody to like me at work and to feel successful at work. And so I'm unwilling to tell certain people no, and I'm unwilling to tell other people yes in my life. And I create this terribly imbalanced life because at the end of the day, the biggest thing about my life is me. So we've gotta be able to grow if we want wisdom, if we want to have the type of impact that goes beyond us, we've got to position ourselves to be able to grow beyond that mindset that you're not the most important thing about your life. And I know a lot of us grew up in a generation where we have some, some trauma and, and, and some issues around this Thing that I just said right there, that you're not the most important thing in life. We've been made to feel like, yes, I, I need to relegate myself and who I am to the corners. I need to put everybody else's feelings and needs 
above my own. I need to take responsibility. If somebody else is sad, that's close to me, I've got to fix that. I've got to contort myself to, to, to be able to manage and caretake everybody else's feelings around me because mine are always not as important. That is not what I'm talking about. That is not what I'm saying. That's not what we see here in the text. That's, that's shorthand for that as codependency. And if, if that was done to you, you probably do it in your relationships now, and I do it uh, in my relationships and, and things like that. And that is, that's actually not uh, what we're reading about in the text. That's not uh, the freedom that we find in learning that the biggest thing about our life isn't us. There's another option, there's another way, and when the time comes, when the time comes in your life, when the epiphanies become available to you, you can learn another bigger thing about your life. Let's look at the text here. Verse 29. So this is, this is John the Baptist, right? He's John the baptizer, and his, his life is about preparing the way uh, for this Christ figure. That's who's talking here. So verse 29, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, a man comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. It's kind of a tongue twister. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. So what do you do? What do you do when that book that you are going to write is sitting there on the shelf? Or that aspiration that you had at work or as a student, the person next to you just did it and they did it better and more creatively than you could ever do it. So, so what happens is you say, I want to see this thing happen in the world right? I'm striving towards that goal. And then that thing shows up, but you're not the author of it. What do you do then? What do you do when uh, the rubber meets the road between your idealism about what you want to see, this great thing you want to see happen in the world, and that thing happens and you're not in the middle of it. You're not, you're not the one that made it happen. Or maybe you just don't get the credit that you deserve. Maybe you did all this work and then all of a sudden nobody remembers John the Baptist and everybody is only talking about Jesus. I'm an idea guy. I've, I've learned that about myself over the past several years and we've even, Mandy on staff has had us do some different tests to see about our gifts and things like that, strength finders and working genius and uh, those kind of things. But I'm, I'm, I'm an idea guy and I, I, I generate lots of ideas. Just, I'm just, if I just am sitting somewhere and I have any stimulus or input, ideas will just pop into my mind. I, I, we were actually, Becky and I were actually talking about this a little bit on the couch last night. And for me, ideas are like, um, when you watch a nature show and they have, the, they have the sped up footage of a plant growing, you know, so you see the whole life cycle of the plant, the bugs coming and going and all the things happening and you see it all like super sped up. So like my imagination is like a field of flowers in, in that sped up 
time of ideas. Each flower is an idea. So it grows and it dies, it grows and it dies, it grows and it dies. There's, there's just a whole field of ideas in my head. And so I, I, can, I can generate lots of ideas, I can filter through a lot of ideas, and I can pick good ideas from bad ideas a lot of times, especially in the areas that I, I work in regularly in life. But I didn't know that everybody didn't work that way. You, you know that about yourself? Like you have strengths that, that you can't even believe, like, but you didn't follow through with that thing or, or you didn't realize like that emotional cue right there or what, how did you not realize that? And over time, as you get older, you realize, oh, everybody doesn't have the same brain. Everybody doesn't think about things the same way. Some people get something, some people miss other things and so on and so forth. So our first year of marriage, uh, Becky and I were at, a, um, at, at this Bible study and, uh, and the guys leading it were asking a lot of like, sort of like knowledge-based questions and stuff like that and throwing out a lot of questions about parts of the Bible. And I knew the answers to all of them and I didn't have to think about it. I, w- I just was like, boom, 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 here's the answers. And Becky leaned over to me. She's like, stop answering all the questions. Give other people a chance. And I thought, but they, they would have raised their hands if they would have known the answers. Well, I mean, I, what am I doing? You know, what am I doing wrong here? And uh and so I said, okay, I won't do that anymore. And so then they asked another question and it was like a little bit more of like a more creative possibility for an answer. And you really had to know your Old Testament, your New Testament and that kind of thing. And I knew the answer right away. And I sat there and I twiddled my thumbs and you know, a few people answer and no, not that, you know, that kind of like, no, that's not what I'm looking for, you know, that kind of thing. And somebody finally answers and I lean over to Becky and I said, I I knew that answer. And she said, no, you didn't. (laughs) Uh, So that's, that's one of my strengths. Lots of ideas. Quick thinking about ideas. But here's, here's what's happened to me before in my life. Many times I have really great ideas. Somebody else takes them. And even I, I've had a situation where I've written down things and somebody else has preached and taught those things, quoted them, sat there and read them off a page and didn't acknowledge that I was the thinker behind those ideas or that those, those were my ideas. And, and that really did something to me, to my insides. Like I, I really felt like, I was really wronged and betrayed. And I got some advice from other people that it's like, well, just don't worry about that or you know, th- th- these kind of things. But I couldn't, I could not worry about it. It felt wrong. It felt like uh, somebody was just taking my, who I was and, and using it to their, their own ends. And, and that's what was happening. Then I had an epiphany and it happened in 2015 and I was at this creativity conference and this guy named uh, Austin Cleon who wrote How to Steal Like an Artist. That was the name of the book he wrote. Um, another one I can't write, there you go. Uh, and, uh, and he talked about sharing your ideas and how many artists were afraid to share their ideas. And his philosophy, his mindset was, everything you do, all your process, show it, show it to everybody. 
Let them see all of it. Put it online, put it everywhere. Let them see what you got and people will fall in love with your process and the story of your individuality behind those things. They'll love that part of things and most people won't have the effort that they won't be able to put the effort into stealing your process uh, that it would take. And I said, and I thought, yes, yes, that's it. That's, that's right. And I, I went home and that's exactly what I started doing. I was making art. I'm also an artist. I was making art. I was making paintings. I was photographing and I was sharing pictures. I was sharing my process. I was writing things about that stuff. And I was just, I started to just give it all away. And, and what I found is as I gave it away, it replenished itself. It didn't run out. It wasn't a scarce resource. See, John the Baptist was facing this situation. He, he'd staked his ministry, his, his notoriety on proclaiming the coming Messiah, but then the Messiah actually shows up. The idea is out. The, the, the thing he'd built up, all the people that were following him and hanging on his every word, they, they were, that, it was over. That, that, that point was over and he had a choice. He could play the victim, right? So I, I did all this, I did all this and, um, and I'm not even getting credit. Like people are leaving, my disciples are leaving me. Everybody's talking about Jesus. Everybody's thinking about Jesus now and woe is me. And I'm, I'm really upset about this, but he didn't do that. He actually testified to the greatness of the reality that was in front of him. The, the big thing, the big thing, the thing that was bigger than his life, than his notoriety, than his reputation and all those things. Here, here he actually acknowledged it. He said, you know, the biggest thing about my life that I've been talking about, I'm saying it's out there. It's in front of me. You can go after it. You could go see it. I can share it. I can give it away. It could be free. It doesn't have to stay and end with me. Um, this is, seems obvious when you talk about somebody else's life, but it's rarely obvious in our, in our own lives. We have other ways of talking about this. We, we might talk about being a helicopter parent or a neglectful parent. Both of those, two sides of the same coin. You can't let it go. You can't let the person go. You can't let them, you can't let them thrive on their own or you can't pay the proper attention to the child, right? Being really good at your job to perform well, but you can't stand it if somebody else performs better than you. Even if it's helping people in really great ways that you are actually, you've actually come to the end of what you're able to do. There, these types of things are all symptoms of a diagnosis that we still believe the biggest thing about our life is us. It's us. So verse 32 John gave this testimony. I saw the spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me the man on whom you see the spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. See, John, John 
His identity was as a baptizer. That's what, we, that's what we know him as. But then the epiphany took place. God actually showed up. The person he was preparing people for arrived. So he could have said, man, woe is me. I'm the baptizer. That's my identity. And I, that's all wrapped up in this. But he actually, he changed. He became John the testifier. His reality changed based on what actually occurred, the ideas that were in front of them that presented themselves to him. He reflects on it. He was willing to come to the point where the biggest thing, the biggest thing about his life, it wasn't him. Why is this hard for us to do as human beings? Why is it hard to, to get here? Here's what happens. If we cease to be the biggest thing in our lives, if we, if we get, come to the point that we say our children can do it for themselves, or this part of the project at work can be delegated, or this boyfriend or girlfriend doesn't really need us to fix them or spouse, or, or that it's me actually that needs community rather than for me to be like leading or telling people what to do in community. If we come to those points in our thinking, any of those kinds of points, our future all of a sudden becomes uncertain. That's why we don't want to do it. It becomes uncertain. What's going to happen? What happens if I admit, if I testify to the reality of this thing in my life that's bigger than me? What's going to happen? Someone's doing it better. My controlling ways are making things worse, not better. I have something to give, but it isn't everything that's needed. That I don't know everything and neither do you. But here's, here's what I've learned and here's what other people have taught me is that when we're able to do that, when we're able to say, I've been a baptizer up until now, but that's not actually what's needed anymore. I got to let it go. I got to release. I got to talk about what is real in front of me now. When I do that, it cracks open the places within us so that we can see things bigger than us. It's a tragedy when somebody gets to the end of their life and all they have is self-pity. All they have is, well, Nobody appreciated me enough or they're obsessing over all of these details. And, 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 and in the meantime, life has just begun and end with their, their existence. It's a tragedy. Verse 35. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Your worst fears just happened. You were holding back. You were pretending you were the biggest thing, and then you got some courage, you had an epiphany. By the grace of God, you were able to say, actually, the biggest thing about life is out there. 
It's bigger. It's the contributions other people are making. Mine was a small part of it, but now it's time for you to go here and do this and see this and be a part of this. And then what happens? The people you've been holding on to, that you've been trying to make sure that they feel like they need you, they leave. That's what happened to John. His, his, two of his, his close disciples, he said, look, there's the guy. All these years you've been following me to pray of the way of the Lord, but there's the guy. And they just left. They just left him. Are you scared of being left? I am terrified. I'm terrified of being left. And that so often is what keeps our world so small. But you know what happened? You know, John gave the greatest gift to those two disciples. He set them free. They needed to be free because, because if John didn't, then, then the only thing those disciples would have ended with, being under John all that time, learning about what the most important thing was, they would have learned eventually, the most important thing is me. To look smart enough, to look prepared enough, to look like I've got it all together enough that I, that I fool people into thinking it's true. But that's not what happened. John set them free to go pursue something bigger than them, bigger than him. There's these couple of verses uh, in the New Testament that I think get really used and abused quite a bit related to, to this idea. Uh, in Matthew chapter 16, uh, verses 24 through 26, and Jesus says um, a, a version of this in all of, all of the gospels. But he says this, uh, starting in verse 24, about halfway through, he says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. Or what good will it be for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? So this, uh, this, this denial Jesus is talking about, denying yourself, it's, we see it in full color, three-dimensional here in this story with John the Baptist. It's someone who says, there's bigger things than me. I'm going to deny my desire to control other people or manipulate other people to try to keep them, to try to hold them and make them believe I've got what they need. I've got all the answers and keep them looking inward instead of out to the life that's bigger than them. If you don't, no matter how good you try to be, how moral, how courageous, how good at whatever tasks are in front of you that contribute to the world, you'll lose your life. If your focus is on saving your life, you lose it. But whoever loses the sense that the biggest thing about them is them, they'll find it. They'll find it. 
I think we're going to save some of this here for the next, uh, the next part of the series here. We're going to continue some of these things here um, in, the, in the coming weeks. But I want to end here in this passage, back to our main passage, and see what, what happens here in the story. Verse 40. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. By the way, I feel like I'm all by my, myself up here this morning. I just want y'all to know that. It's okay to say amen if you hear something that sounds true to you. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. John releases Andrew to see something bigger than himself. John realized in that moment he was a servant of something more than his own personal message, his own branding, what people thought of him, if everybody was going to like him or stay with him on the conditions that he wanted. He let go of that smaller view of life. And what did Andrew do with it? He turned around and he shared it right away. He saw it. He gave somebody else a glimpse. Y'all can be with me right now. It's a good point to be with me, okay? He, he, he saw that life was bigger and he couldn't then keep it to himself. And Andrew saw the same thing and he had to share it. So what does life do? When we realize the biggest thing about our life is the uppercase life, it creates more life. All right, okay, amen. Life multiplies. Life produces more life. And in the beginning of John chapter one, this is what it says. This is what John testifies to the person of Jesus. In John chapter one, verse four, it says, in him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. When you have those moments. Everybody gets them in a flash, in flashes. When you have those moments where you realize the, the bigness, the grandness of this life narrative, that, that this uppercase L, that's what Jesus embodied, that's what he showed us, that's what he was. You realize the biggest thing about your life is life. I'm gonna end with a quote from the mighty Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. about this. It has been my conviction that any religion which professes to be concerned about the souls of men and is not concerned about the social and economic conditions that scar the soul, it is a spiritually morbid religion only waiting for the day to be buried. It well has been said a religion that ends with the individual ends. So what would it look like if every person at Christ City was open to the epiphany that the biggest thing about their life was that uppercase life? Let's think about that for a while. Let's pray. Let's pray.